0: When you're reading through a typical bylaw, you know, we'll see multiple dwellings as a permitted use, and then further down in the bylaw, there's going to be requirements in order to meet that.
1: You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.
0: Hey, Right Club Nation, it's Alfonso Salemi here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out
1: The Rock yet? What is it, do you ask? Well, it's the Right Club online community, a place where you can go to find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all the podcast episodes are there, hours of videos with a wide range of real estate investing, training and education, and so much more. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, let's get to the podcast.
2: So, hi everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, a co-founder of the Right Club, and I'm here with Sarah Larby, my co-host and another co-founder. Hi, Sarah. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing?
3: Very good. i uh, I'm excited. I'm officially retired from the nine to five, and uh, somehow my schedule seems really busy still for the next couple weeks because i I moved everything from like the last two to three weeks of, you know my my work life into into the October weeks and so a lot of my coaching and the podcast and stuff like that are falling in the first two weeks but at some point I need to restructure my schedule a little bit more be able to figure out when podcast days or podcast days and when I'm you know doing absolutely nothing and all that good stuff what about you Laurel what's new on your end
2: uh, well, it's just, uh, I'm so looking forward to this, this weekend coming up. Uh, yeah, we're getting into later into fall, but I love my garden and I, you know, it's time to put it to bed and pull things out, and do all that kind of stuff. I find it so refreshing. I know a lot of people don't like gardening, but I just love being outside and, and getting my hands dirty. I think I, sh- I think as a kid, I, I loved running around and climbing trees and making mud pies and all the rest of it. So I think I'm reverting to being a kid.
3: Um, why not why not exactly you got to have some fun that's going to be my main theme is how do i create fun and i and i know it's harder to like i mean it's awesome that you love gardening i love eating your tomatoes by the way um (laughs) (laughs) that's my fun but i I think like you know as as i mean you're in the same boat in a way too right we're like technically not working full-time jobs so it's important that we create some fun in our lives and have some hobbies and that kind of stuff and so it's, uh, I've been starting to look, but I'll tell you everything. A lot of stuff is closed with, with what's happening right now and the shutdowns and COVID and that kind of stuff. But at some point it will reside, it'll be gone. Absolutely. Anyways, today's guest, Ken Beacon Dam, he uh, is just a wealth of knowledge and you guys probably have heard of him. He is um, one of the top people that do basement conversions or secondary suites. Uh, legally and uh, we have some great conversations about not necessarily legalizing second suites but how do you convert commercial to residential how do you convert larger buildings and I think that there's some really interesting conversations in the, in there as well but before we go into the podcast Laurel what's up with the uh, RightClub.com online these
2: days Hey, we are attracting people coming in. We're so excited to see you. Um, If you haven't already signed up, go to therightclub.com. Come on in and join us. All you need to do is put your name and email address and then you become a member. It's as simple as that. There's forums, there's videos, there's there's all kinds of stuff, information there uh, with blogs and you can connect with people. So it's a great place to be and we're adding more and more stuff all the time. So come join us.
3: All right, awesome. Let's go on to our interview with Ken. Ken, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: I'm doing uh, fantastic. It's been, uh, it's been quite a busy season for us uh, in the second suite conversion, multifamily conversion business. Um, everybody is getting into it, which is awesome to see. And it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been a, very, uh, been a very interesting year for sure
3: awesome well we're excited to have you on again you've been a recurring guest on our podcast and uh you know, a recurring partner of ours for the right club for quite some time as well. And when I think of second suites, I think of you as, you know, my 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 thought of like who is a great person to reach out to to get some some help on conversions and and it doesn't have to necessarily be two units, but three units, four units. You've got a lot of experience. But before we get into that, quick background on just like your own portfolio, what that consists of and what your your main strategy with your portfolio is.
0: Yeah. So so I've been investing myself personally since 2010, uh, you know, buying, you know, started out with a condo and then we moved into some single family homes, then got into, you know, converting properties, duplexes, triplexes. I'm also part of a, a real estate family. So my dad and my brothers are also into this as well. Uh, they're not into it as, as um, you know, heavy as I am, but nonetheless, you know, we do do things. You know, as a family, we do do things uh, individually as well. But uh, yes, um, as far as the the portfolio right now, so myself, I have ten properties, and ten rental properties. All of them are are duplexes. And then as a family, we have about twenty-seven all all together, and that's about fifty-eight rental units all together. So that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm involved a lot in the, just the day-to-day management of those properties. So I manage my own my own stuff, but then also, of course, because I'm doing it full-time, I'm the one who's got to manage my dad's properties as well. So, so it's been, uh, you know, we've been doing it for a while. Uh, I grew up in a, like I said, in a, in a real estate investing family. So since I was a young kid, you know, we've always had these properties around, you know, renovating them over the years and, and cleaning them and stripping wallpaper and all, all that kind of uh, good stuff. You know, we were doing a lot of renovations too over the years, and you know, we were doing basement apartments 10, 15 years ago as well, because it, it made sense, but uh, obviously they weren't legal at that time, and it's only been the last five years here that we've been really able to legalize, uh, and it's getting easier and easier every year. Yeah, so we're still buying, like, I, you know, I'm on my fifth property this year, you know, purchasing, so this year has actually been a big, uh, big year for me as well and I'm starting to get into some JV partnerships. I do use a lot of private lending as well to help uh, fund my deals. But then, so that's kind of on the personal side. And then on the business side, you know, we have a, I'm helping a ton of, I don't even know, I can't, I can't even keep track anymore. But you know, probably this year alone, I've, I've helped and served over, over 100 investors easily this year on their portfolios, um, helping them, you know, increase density and add more units. Primarily, it's still duplexes, you know, uh, adding legal basement apartments or secondary units. But, you know, I do uh, have a a number of investors who do get into legal triplexes and legal fourplexes. Even as of late, you know, getting into some even larger stuff, doing 12-unit and 16-unit conversions as well. Starting to see a lot of people get into the the mixed-use commercial residential units in some of the downtown core areas and converting ground floor commercial into residential. So definitely seeing a trend and kind of, you know, with the uh, COVID and all this kind of stuff and the trend of, of these older ground floor commercial units not being utilized really anymore, definitely seeing a desire to convert those back into residential.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
3: Hey right club nation, it's Sarah here. I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about private money for mortgages. As you've been building your real estate team, it is critical that you have a good source of private money both for borrowing but also to lend out should you want to make more money on your money. Have you been perhaps turned down for a mortgage or reached your max capacity in your borrowing power or Are you buying distressed properties to burr or to FLIP that may not initially qualify with a regular bank type of lender? Or maybe on the other hand, you have money that you wanted to loan out on your terms rather than making the measly percentages that the banks are offering you. Well, Private Money for Mortgages is actually a boutique mortgage brokerage that specializes in private mortgages for both borrowers and lenders. And Susan has over 25 years of experience in real estate investing, and her brokerage specializes in connecting borrowers and lenders to one another. And she's got many solutions for you. She says, when the bank says no, we say yes. So reach out at one 800 9320437 or 519-342-7295 or visits private moneyformortgages.com and that's the number four. Right, Club Nation, remember as you build your real estate portfolio, chances are you will come to a point where bank funded mortgages are no longer an easy option. Or you may need a short-term loan for a first mortgage for a flip or a Burr or maybe a second mortgage to consolidate debt that is when they can help by providing different types of solutions. And also as a bonus offer, Susan said, mention this podcast when you connect with her and her team and they will cover the cost of an appraisal for you to a maximum of $500. So either call at 1-800-932-0437 or 519-342-7295 or the website privatemoneyformortgages.com. And now back to the show. Actually, that's really
2: interesting because I was thinking about that the other day. Where because because of COVID and because of you know, everything that's happening with um, uh, businesses not going back to their their storefronts, basically, there's a lot of real estate that that can be used. And it sounds like your your clients and you are taking advantage of that. So, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what is it? What are the challenges in converting say, say storefronts or mixed use buildings in, into fully residential?
0: Yeah. So as we get into some of these larger conversion projects, it uh, definitely becomes more, there, there's, there's more things you have to comply with, right? It gets a bit more challenging, you know, again, uh, just like when it comes to converting a, a bungalow into a second, into a, a two unit dwelling, uh, you still have to comply with zoning, right? So. Now, a lot of these, you know, let's just focus on kind of some of the downtown areas, the downtown corridors of some of these cities. You know, a lot of them have kind of a mixed use zoning uh, that does allow for a mix of commercial and residential development. But, but there can be restrictions on where is that, where are those residential dwelling units located? You know, are they just above the first floor? or are they allowed to be on the ground floor or are they allowed to be in the basement? So, so some of these zonings, and this is where you have to be really specific to the property and the city and the actual zone that you're, you're working in. Uh, cause, cause some of these zones do not permit residential on the ground floor. They, per, they permit them up above. So when we're getting into converting these buildings and we're kind of making these ground floor commercial units into residential, you know, sometimes there are minor variances involved in order to, and it depends on the zoning, because some zonings are very specific, where they say, you know, a residential unit has to be, you know, 0.9 meters above grade. So that means all of a sudden, you know, we have to apply for variance to go to basically zero meters above grade, or at the existing floor level of that commercial unit. So it's not uncommon that we have to go for a variance, but as cities, uh, you know, some cities are working on revamping their downtown zoning uh, bylaws, and they're, they're allowing full residential like where we can take this commercial mixed-use building and, and we're permitted to do multi dwelling multiple dwellings which means we can convert the whole building you know there again there's again we have to comply with parking if there is even parking requirements in place some of these downtown corridor zones don't don't even require parking um, especially if we're un, if we're still under you know 10 12 dwelling units you know, obviously once we get into the larger stuff, then parking does kick in again. We're still looking at smaller residential developments, you know, four to ten dwelling units. Uh, some of these zones don't, don't even require parking. But again, when we're converting com- commercial mixed use into straight residential, we are changing occupancy of the building. You know, we have a commercial occupancy on the ground floor and we have a residential occupancy up on the uh, the upper levels. And so, you know, we do get into obviously fire separation uh, requirements, you know, egress requirements, all of the same types of things uh, that the building code re- would require. But uh, when it comes to building code, there is a big shift. Once we move from a house with two dwelling units and we now are into three dwelling units or more, the, uh, the building code changes as far as how they're looking at this particular building. And it's now classified as a building in the building code uh, when we have three or more dwelling units, so all of a sudden our fire separation requirements increase our uh, our means of egress is different, our ceiling height requirements are different. with the house with two dwelling units, we're actually allowed a lot of reductions in requirements uh using part eleven compliance alternatives, which makes it you know which makes it easier to convert these houses so converting buildings through more units does get more challenging, but it's all part of, you know, it's all part of the, uh, the you know, the investment strategy, right? Uh, no risk, no reward, right? Uh, the people who can kind of overcome some of these challenging, challenges and be able to can figure it out and convert these buildings can have a, a very good return on their investment.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, Right Club Nation, we want to take a quick break from the podcast to introduce you to a longtime supporter of the Wright Club and many members of the Wright Club nation, Mr. Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We as Elevation Realty are the sponsor for the real estate slot at the Wright Club, and we have been attending since the second Wright Club. We are an investment focused, high volume real estate team serving the golden horseshoe from Oakville down to Niagara. If you are looking to increase your cash flows or you want to find an incredible opportunity, we deal with builders, we deal with off-market opportunities, as well as we are very creative and negotiate the best deal for even on-market opportunities. We've helped a number of clients with the right club, find flips, single-family rentals, duplex conversions, three- and four-unit renovations, all the way up to large residential buildings with high cash flow.
3: Guys, and I have to say, I stand behind Elevation and Dylan. They found me. My last few properties have done an amazing job. 100% recommend them. So thank you for all your hard work.
1: Now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You've said so many really awesome, I, I'm thinking somebody's listening to this, take some notes because there's a lot of great information that was just shared with Ken. So thank you for that. And I think there's going to be some opportunity, right? I mean, wealth is created in, in those opportunities that maybe people are, are afraid to go after. And, and that whole conversion piece of taking a mixed use or some type of commercial, changing it to residential, um, I think is is. A great strategy for maybe not a complete beginner unless they have a team and, and you know you've, you've got the assistance there can you just go back a little bit and let's just say somebody's looking at a mixed use commercial residential mix maybe they have one already and they're not too sure what to do with the commercial unit like how do they even figure out if it's in, in an option like where do they go who do they call and then can you also afterwards just talk on what a variance means
0: so it's it's no different than when we're looking at a residential property and whether or not we can convert it into two units, right? It's just, you know, we're looking at the zoning of this particular building where it's situated and what the, zone, what the permitted use is of that zone and what the re- requirements are for that permitted use. So in a lot of these commercial districts, they're going to have a whole list of permitted uses. Could be artist studio, office, microbrewery, you know, uh, multiple dwelling dwelling units, and and there's a there's a difference between uh, multiple dwelling and dwelling units. Multiple dwelling means that the whole building is dwelling units. Um, you know, you could have ten dwelling units in the uh, in the building as a multiple dwelling. When we have when we see the description dwelling units, that typically means dwelling units in conjunction with a commercial uh, requirement, and so. So, again, we're, look at, we're trying to figure out what the permitted use is, right? Um, that we, uh, we're permitted dwelling units or multiple dwelling, first and foremost. And, you know, confirming that uh, we don't require a commercial component to the building still as, in order to enact one of these other permitted uses. Because some, some of the zoning does s- still require a commercial component in order to have dwelling units, and some don't. So this is where it's really important to make sure that, you know, we can go to all residential and get rid of this commercial uh, aspect to the building, you know, and then, you know, under, so if when you're reading through a typical bylaw, you know, we'll see multiple dwellings as a permitted use, and then further down in the bylaw, there's going to be requirements in order to meet that permitted use. you know, could be a, could be a unit size, uh, could be a, um, a height above grade requirement, you know, is it only permitted on the first or second floors? Is it permitted on the ground floor? Is it permitted in the basement, et cetera? So we have to figure out how are we going to comply if we want to get this permitted use, right? And like any bylaw, as soon as we have to go outside of the bylaw, we have to apply for a minor variance, you know? So I have a couple applications right now. Actually, we've, we've been getting into a bunch of uh, commercial mixed-use uh, com- conversion projects up and down the King Street Corridor in Hamilton, downtown Hamilton, all up and down King Street, and there's a lot of these older mixed-use buildings there. Up and down that corridor is a, a TOC 1 zone, which is a transit-oriented corridor zone, and part of, you know, part of that particular zone in that particular city is, is uh, they have a 0.9 meters above grade requirement for dwelling units. Multi- for sorry, for multiple dwelling, and so you know anytime we 're converting up and down a corridor you know unless unless the the ground floor of the particular building so happens to be zero point nine meters, which is three feet above grade we 're applying for a variance for that.
2: And can I, I'm just gonna jump in there so that people really understand what a variance means. You have major variances and minor variances. And a minor variance, as far as I know, just means that there's a little bit of leeway, like the planning committee of any uh, city has some, or the zoning committee, whatever they call it, has some leeway in in giving permission, right? So basically a group of people get together, look at the application for a minor variance and say yes or no. If it's really minor, they usually say yes, right? not always but usually but then if it's major then that goes into a whole different process is that correct
0: yeah like a like a major a major variance is is almost getting into a rezoning you know depending on how what you're asking for you know most times it's either minor or it's a rezoning because it's so major that you're not even fitting within the existing bylaw you know so yeah a, a variance like a minor variance is, is you know you're making an application to a committee of community members you know who will then discuss and you know rule on whether or not they're going to grant you that um that reduction in the uh, the the, uh, the bylaw
2: like, and like again an um can I give an example here just so that people yeah. understand so like on a single family unit of single family dwelling if it's a single home and say you've bought a lot and it's the, the, the zone says that they, there has to be 50 foot frontage on the street and the lot is actually 49 feet right well then it's a that is truly that's a one foot difference and you would apply for a minor variance chances are the committee the city's gonna say yeah go ahead it's 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 rather insignificant in the grand scheme of things right
0: yeah it's a, it's a formal process we have to go through you know and and technically speaking if we're short one inch or a half a square foot on on what the bylaw states, technically we have to go through this formal process to have our dimensions recognized, you know? And sometimes it seems like a pain in the butt, but, you know, every city has to have, we have to have some sort of numbers as a as a baseline, bottom line number for these requirements, right? Like unit size, for instance, you know, sometimes, you know, our unit is 10 square feet smaller than what the bylaw states. And we're like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is ridiculous. It's only 10 square feet, but you know, uh, the next guy might come along and his unit might be hundred square feet smaller. Right. Or the next guy might come along and be like 300 square feet smaller. So they have to have a baseline number in their bylaws in order, you know, uh, to have some sort of parameters to, to work within. But yeah, it can be a real annoyance when <laughs> it's so, so minor. Yeah, you have to spend all this money and time to go through that process.
2: Yeah.
3: Speaking of time, as an example, so let's just say somebody's got something that they're interested in in buying. They let's just say they have it under contract, um, and they close in thirty to forty-five days. Like just just thinking of the time and the process. When should somebody get you involved as an example to start with uh, with the process if they wanted to do some type of conversion?
0: Well, these days, especially. Um, with the way things are going right now at, at City Hall um, and the building, building and planning departments is we need more time. We need more time to get stuff done. The current environment of home purchases is a very competitive, right? So people are, are, are buying properties quickly and closing quickly in order just to get the deal. But however, on the permit side, it's taking like three times as long to get anything through the cities these days. So we have this huge gap between when we have the property and then when we're actually getting our actual building permit. So we have to be getting started very, very early on in the process. Like after you firm up, you know, basically we should be in there right away, taking measurements and, and starting to starting the, uh, the drawings, uh, cause any sort of permit application, whether it's a building permit or a minor variance application, we still need a full set of drawings, architectural drawings for the property. And depending on the, on the architect's firm or the, the, uh, the designer and their workload, you know, those drawings could take two weeks. They could take four weeks or longer, depending on the volume. So, yeah, first and foremost, you have to get in there right away and get, get your drawings going. Because once we make a submission, it's still going to be sitting at the city for weeks and weeks and weeks and or months if we're getting into a variant situation.
3: Are there like cities as an example that are faster than others that you're able to share? I know this is Ontario right now that you're, you're working with some, some areas, but are there some that are like, these ones are like more investor friendly and they like these conversion type of things, projects better than others? Like do you, or is it all kind of the same in your opinion?
0: It's all, it's all about the size of the building department. So, obviously, in a bigger city, you're going to have a bigger building department. There's more hands touching the application. Um, there's more bureaucracy you have to go through typically, which just slows everything down. In a smaller city, you know, there may only be one building plan examiner right? who's reviewing residential applications. And so, you know, sometimes it can be, can be relatively quick to go through the process, depending on that city's volume of applications. You know, uh, in general, though, this, yeah, the smaller cities that we we uh, uh, submit in, the quicker the process is. the, the bigger the city, the, the longer it takes, um, you know, and again, sometimes the, the smaller cities are, again, because you're only working with one individual um, and you could be working with the same person over and over again. If you're doing a lot of work in that city, you really develop a relationship with this person. You know, like like you know them on a first name basis, you can email them. Some of these planners in some of these cities, I I have them on my phone, I have their cell phone. I I can just text them with a quick question if I have, uh, or a quick update to see how they're making out. But uh, in general, though, every city's process is the same. We still have to show compliance with building code and zoning bylaw with any sort of uh, drawing app or any sort of drawings that we submit. Typically, whatever city we work in, it's it's no different as far as what we're producing and what we have to submit to them. Uh, but it's a big difference on who's reviewing it, how many people are reviewing it, what their different processes is that could really speed up or slow down
2: the applications. So... Can you just tell us a little bit about like, well, a typical person, a typical, there is no such thing as a typical real estate investor, but <laughs> anyway, someone comes to you and says, okay, I just put an offer in for this. Let's say it's a, a place in a downtown, any town, whatever, medium sized city, say 50, 75,000 people. It's uh, in the downtown core on main street. It's probably an older building as a lot of them are in, in maybe certain parts of Ontario and smaller towns. Um well, like what would be the first thing you would do and they, they come to you and say I want to convert this into i want to get rid of the the lower level uh commercial and turn this into a full residential uh, building what would be the very first thing that you would do when you went to look at the building
0: well so that's very it's, it's great thing you asked that because that happens all the time people will send me uh an address or a listing and say hey uh this is what we want to do with this building and then Like I said, first and foremost, one, we check zoning and make sure, find out what the permitted uses are. But then uh, before we even get too far along the zoning process, we have to make sure that this building itself can comply with building code for what your intended use is going to be, right? And so for converting commercial mixed use properties into multiple dwellings, you know, uh, 10 out of 10 times, we're not considered a house right, we're considered a building, and there's a whole different set of building code requirements, right? So somebody asked me the other day about converting this building uh, into a legal triplex, right? It has a commercial ground floor unit, and it has two residential units on the upper level. And I'm like, well, before you even really go down the road of, you know, a minor variance or rezoning or whatever, whatever the zoning would require to comply, can this building even comply as a legal triplex as far as building code. Like, you know, they wanted to, um, uh, you know, maybe use part of the basement, like make the basement into a unit, the ground floor into a unit, and then have their existing two residential units on the upper level. And like, well, we gotta make sure that we can, this basement of this old building can even meet building code for a dwelling unit, right? Make sure we have our our minimum ceiling heights down there because in a building, our, our minimum ceiling heights are higher than what they would call for in a house or like a basement apartment in a a house. So, and then sometimes that kind of stops the conversation right there because all of a sudden they realize, well, uh, just because the zoning permits me multiple dwelling, my particular building won't even comply with building code without really, really substantial renovations. You know, like I said, in the building code, everything is is, um, possible through renovations, but it may not be feasible. To do everything right so this is where it really depends on what you're buying and, and how much you're willing to put into it for renovations
3: great great advice ken i mean you've got you've got tons of you know great insights and i would just say if somebody is not sure ken will provide his information after to to be able to you know, reach out to Ken and have Ken, you know, do some walkthroughs or some videos or, or have discussions with you guys as uh, as you may come across different buildings that you have under contract. Ken, I, w- I want to take a little bit of a, a turn and just ask you a, a different uh, question just about because you're, you're an investor, you're a property manager, you have this, you know, role of, you know, doing conversions for many, many investors, like how, and you have a a cute little son uh, as well. Like how, how do you manage your, your schedule to, you know, have a life at the end of the day as well?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I guess that's the challenge of, of any um, entrepreneur starting out, uh, building a business, uh, building your own real estate portfolio. And then, and then, Being in in an industry that is rapidly growing, um, and there's increasing, increasing demand for converting properties. Yeah, like my calendar and my day-to-day life is is crazy, absolutely crazy. I find it very difficult to get a lot of to be very productive during the daytime because you know uh, my phone rings all the time. You know, I have a lot of emails that come in. And I, you know, I spend half a day just going through emails, and the other half the day on phone calls. In between, doing my consultations and, and site visits at uh, properties, right? So, you know, so I do find myself a lot actually working on drawings and reviewing drawings with my team into the evening, into the, the late evening. It's actually very common in the uh, architectural world with designers and engineers. Um, that a lot of them do work into the evening quite late. You know, uh, it's not uncommon for for me to be on the computer and it could be two o'clock in the morning. You know, I got five of my other designers also online uh, working on drawings and my engineer is up and he's working on stuff and we're going back and forth reviewing stuff you know, uh, late into the evening because for a lot of us, that's the only time that we can really be productive and not not have any distractions where we can actually focus on the actual work of Drawings and, and design work. No, I do. Yeah, I do have a, a uh, four and a half year old little boy. He's in uh, senior kindergarten this year, uh, and obviously, I'm uh, I'm a single parent. My my wife passed away almost coming up to a year now. Uh, October here, she passed away in 2019. So it's coming up to a year, and so it's it's been a real challenging year trying to balance this this growth in the company. You know, the the increasing demand on Design work, and then and being a single parent, you know, I did have a a nanny uh, who was working uh, full time uh, every day, coming at eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock, and just helping with just the day to day stuff of of running a household, you know, and raising a child. But uh, actually, she recently actually got into a uh, car accident. She's okay, uh, thank thank goodness, and thank thankfully, my son wasn't in the car. But uh, she did total the car. And she was, uh, she's right now home healing. But uh, so right now I I don't have my nanny anymore to kind of help. Um, So I've been really really relying on my family to help kind of uh step in and, and and help thankfully with the way my scheduling goes as far as when i'm meeting clients at, at houses i'm not typically meeting a client until like nine o'clock or nine thirty in the morning anyways so i can easily drive my son to school and get him get him off but then i do have lots of help as far as after school care you know picking him up i try and pick him up two days a week at least and then the other other days you know i have different people stepping in to help uh help pick them up but it's it's i i need to find more time to rest and relax actually this weekend we're going up to the cottage so our family just recently bought a family cottage up in um you know northern ontario and uh so actually we just closed we closed yesterday and so
3: life changer to have a cottage to get away to
0: (laughs) yeah so we're actually this is our first weekend up there we're going up there actually to do work on it, to uh, clear it out, actually do, do a little bit of demolition work. And we're, get, we're actually going to be tackling the renovation ourselves, actually like myself and some of my siblings. And we're going to kind of do it over weekends when we're up there. You know, like we're so used to hiring everything out down here, right? We hire it all up to trades and, and different things. But for the cottage, you know, we're going to try and lay our own flooring and do some our own painting and, and stuff up there. So that'd be, that'd be fun, fun, um, be able to kind of create new experiences up there uh, at the cottage. But look, uh, you know, I'm just like so many of our listeners and so many people out there, look, I'm, I'm trying to build, you know, a life for myself too, right? I'm trying to invest in real estate, uh, build up my portfolio of properties to kind of gain that financial freedom so that I can ultimately at some point really step back and be able to, to raise and care care for my son, you know, on a, on a somewhat full-time basis. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to, two years ago, quit my full-time job and really focus on this uh, real estate business. And as my wife was getting sicker and sicker at the time, my investments in real estate at the time really afforded me the ability to kind of step back when I needed to. And even now, be able to kind of have a somewhat flexible schedule to be able to bring my son to school, be able to pick him up from school a couple days a week, you know, and and kind of create my own schedule. (laughs) Yes, my schedule is very tight. I have small windows of opportunity here and there. But that's that's the challenge. You know, great things in life don't come that easily all the time. And you really have to work hard uh, trying to achieve your goals. But uh, I've been blessed to be able to really be focused or really be surrounded with a lot of other Really active real estate investors. Obviously, through my business, I get to connect with a lot of different investors. Like this year's, easily over a hundred people. Like we're we're going to be up to 140 uh, conversion permits by the time the year is out here, and we'll be we've probably renovated close to 30 houses. So through that experience, I get to meet all sorts of different investors. I get to hear their stories. I get to find out you know what types of investment strategies they like to focus on, what works for them. You know, I'm I, I'm an open book. I I I'm always looking to learn, um, and so if I can learn from any of these investors, this helps me better serve my other clients, right? By sharing that knowledge and that information and, and those experiences. But yeah, it's uh, obviously 2019 was a real challenging year for me. 2020, obviously, with all this COVID stuff, has been challenging for for many people, myself included. Thankfully, my business has has uh, you know continue to grow and you know we've been up 40% this year and I'm very, very thankful for that, very blessed to be able to be able to do that and continue to do that.
3: Amazing. Thank you so much for that. We can keep talking because you've got so much information, so much insight, so much knowledge. But we're going to go to our next part of the podcast, which is our lightning round. So Ken, you're gonna give us the first answer that comes to mind. Laurel and I will take turns asking you questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. And check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email, daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. Question number one, Ken, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or in a networking event? Uh,
0: The best advice I've heard from another investor was obviously the person who deals with the most shit wins person who does with the most awesome. crap wins awesome. <laughs> that's
3: very um, true too.
0: and uh i see a lot like some of these investors who tackle some of these really problematic buildings and houses um you know they they in the end can do very very well so
2: that's a really great answer i love that so what's your favorite resource for real estate investing whether it's you know book training person event what is it
0: for me obviously in this business it's uh bylaws you know, the zoning bylaws that the cities put out there and provide, uh, that's our roadmap for development and converting. That, comp- that in combination with the building code, right? You know, when we're looking at intensifying properties, those are our two big resources, the bylaws and the building code. You know, it's our textbook for, uh, for doing what we do. So it's the, the best resource <laughs> I could think that any, anybody should, should uh, know.
3: I always remember when you when you speak on stage, you've got like these huge binders with you. It's a it's a lot, but it's, you can um,
0: see them right behind me there. Oh yeah, I have it up know. on my filing cabinet.
3: These binders are like half a foot each. <laughs> All right, next question number three. What is the one attribute that you would say has made you most successful?
0: I think I've I've big goals and dreams for for my own life as far as what I want to be able to accomplish and that really just keeps driving me forward. Um, and, and I think you have to set, I think you have to set lofty goals for yourself, you know, whether you think they're realis- realistic or not, you have to set a very high goal so that you, you always have something to work towards. Um, and in this, in this business, in life in general, like there's always another level to get to. It doesn't matter what level you're at right now. You know if you don't own anything right now, well the next level is owning something, right If you own five properties, well the next level is ten properties. If you have ten, the next level is who knows, right? So I'm always looking at okay where where am I at like where am I at right now where Where do I want to be and how do I get there and yeah, that's what drives people right you have to have, you have to have good good goals, you know
2: yeah, and it sounds like your your why is really, really important to you. and as we all know, really good, strong why you're gonna make it, and you you've got you've got it. so that's great. So Ken, last question. What' do you typically do on a Sunday morning?
0: On a Sunday morning? well, i so I used to go to church um, on on Sundays on a Sunday morning. Obviously, over the last couple of years with with my wife being sick, we weren't always able to get out like we uh, would we would want to. Obviously, with COVID and everything, a lot of a lot of church communities have have uh, closed down. They're starting to open a little bit, but so yes, I would like to go more often on Sundays, but I don't. You know, right now I, I do uh, like to stay home with my son. Uh, we get cozy up on the couch Sunday morning. You know, have a nice uh, cup of coffee or a cup of tea, watch some morning cartoons. But then typically after that, you know, we're going out trying to. Uh, connect with some family you know I'll I'll go out to my my one of my siblings places or my parents place and have lunch and kind of just try and relax Um, you know I do I do find myself you know sneaking into the office and trying to uh, pump out some work in between you know trying to trying to stay up on top of things but it's that's part of my life it's a mix of of home and and work every day it seems but uh, like I said I'm trying to find that balance but it's tough. It's tough sometimes.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Ken, where can the Right Club Nation or listeners reach out if they wanted to learn more or speak to you?
0: Um, Yeah, obviously you can connect with me on Facebook. I do have a little Instagram thing up. I'm not, I haven't been great. Uh, I got one post. I'm not that great at Instagram, but definitely connect with me on Facebook. Uh, You can connect with me through my, through my website, uh, legalsecondsweets.com. And there's a contact form there that you can uh, send me a contact or you can send me a Facebook message. Uh, Feel free to add me on Facebook. I always like connecting with more and more investors out there. So if you're listening to this, my Facebook is just my name, Ken Beacon Dam. I'm the only one out there that has the same name. So it should be easy to find. You can always Google me too. There's lots of stuff up on Google about me as well.
3: Amazing. Amazing. Sounds good, Ken. And any final last words of advice for the Right Club Nation?
0: I would say the trends right now are more units under one roof, okay? So if you're out there looking at an investment opportunity and where, where you should be investing, look for those bigger buildings that you can add more dwelling units because converting bungalows into two units, it's getting tougher with where prices are at and uh, with where rents are at, you know, a duplex conversion is going the way of a single family home where it doesn't. It may not make sense anymore. There's still good opportunities, don't get me wrong. You can still buy right. If you buy right, it can still be a great opportunity. But let's look at some of these larger projects, triplexes, fourplexes, you know, what have you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ken, for being on our show. It was great to have you. And uh, listeners, Right Club Nation, reach out to Ken. He is a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for sharing what you did today.
0: Thanks guys. I appreciate the opportunity to be on again.
3: I love Ken. He's great. He's got so much information and he's also got a great portfolio himself. And I will tell you, he's so humble. He's humble. He's nice. He's, he's out wanting to help. And I will say that um, he's, you know, like it's just incredible. The, the growth that he's, you know, been able to do in the, in the last few years on his own as well, but also all the help that, you know, he's helped with many investors, many right club members, just being able to convert correctly. Cause I'll tell you, if you find and you hire the wrong person for these um, you can waste a lot of time and a lot of money. So um, I'm, I'm, I just love the idea of, of looking at commercial and and figuring out a way to convert some of that into residential. I think that's brilliant. What's your takeaway Laurel from that?
2: Well, my takeaway is, well, first of all, on a personal level, you know, Ken, it's not easy, right? His wife has died. Uh, He has a little boy, and he's trying to pull everything together and manage it. Thank goodness he has family around to help him. And as you heard in the podcast, Mm -hmm. a nanny who is now in a car accident can't help him so much anymore. It's really, really tough. That being said, though, he's not letting it stop him, is he? He's going on and he's he's determined to make a success and it's really really cool to see how how committed he is and he has dreams and goals he's not giving up and the conversation about um commercial it's 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 yeah like why not we see right now because of what's going on a lot of storefronts closing and so but this is valuable real estate so and, and we know that there are so many people who need housing So this is a perfect opportunity. Is it easy? Not necessarily. Is it worth doing? You betcha.
3: Absolutely. Anyways, Laurel, it's always a pleasure to have you as my co-host, Right Club Nation. Thanks for tuning in again. And Laurel, what do we say to the Right Club Nation?
2: We say, come grow with us.
3: Until next week. See you guys later.